Amen. Amen. Well, guys, would you grab a Bible and join us this morning? We are going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. It's where we've been uh, just making our way through a section that deals specifically with uh, the spiritual warfare, with the armor of God. And as we continue that verse by verse, we want you to be there with us. So hopefully you got a Bible. If not, there's a page number on the screen for the Bibles that are here in the fellowship. If you need to use an electronic device or just choose to that you want to, that's great as well. That's true for those in here, those in our fellowship room, and those online as well. Have a Bible. Join us so that you're seeing what God is saying, that it would be His Word that would work just authoritatively into your life. And we are just longing that that would be the case this morning for each one of us. So hopefully with Bibles open, let's take another moment and pray and ask that God would indeed open our hearts to the Word of God that is open before us. Father, thank you for your Word that is true. Thank you that it just shows us that which we need. Lord, that you give us everything necessary for living this life out. Lord, that you would guide our lives through your truth. And I I love that you do that and ask for that right now. That you would help your word both to speak to us, to work inside of us, to accomplish in us what you know we need. Lord, do that together as we study this passage, but do it in a very personal way as well. Grant us just help that we would be those who would hear what you would show us, that it would accomplish in us what you would have for us. Lord, anything that would make that difficult right now, anything that would cause us to not hear, would you graciously deal with? Physically giving us strength, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, if there's anything that's just hardened our heart that you would soften so that right now we would hear you. I pray for that now, and I pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Question for you. So how many pairs of shoes do you have? Now, I recognize even as I say that, that doesn't fight in words for some people. So just, I'm just not trying to go there, but I just want you to think about it this way. Hey, statistics tell us that the average American man owns 12 pairs of shoes and the average American woman owns 27 pairs of shoes. Now, I'm not saying that's either true or not true. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I just know for somebody in here this morning, you're saying, those are amateurs. You know, like, like they, they have not even begun to get started, you know, and hey, I just want you to kind of just understand that's not a bad thing necessarily. I'm not making fun of that, but I just want to draw your attention to this. You know, some of that is just pleasure, and some of that is just things that people enjoy. Nevertheless, honestly, different shoes sometimes have very different values. The kind of shoes that you would use maybe for hiking are very different from maybe an athletic shoe, and those sometimes are not just a, a, you know, fashion statement. Sometimes they make an entirely world of difference. I mean, the reality is for some athletes, the difference between winning and losing is the right shoe. It is the right shoe that would help them to do that. Same is true for soldiers. Sometimes the difference between a soldier losing and winning in battle can really be calculated even into the kind of shoes that they wear, and that's where we want to go. Because I want to tell you, that's true. I could talk to you about how it works within military today, just how much they recognize that, how much they understand the value of having the right shoe. But for us here in, in Christ, that's where we want to go because in our text this morning, we're going to talk about gospel shoes. We're going to talk about having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why don't you notice it with me? Let's just read verse 15 there. That's going to be the verse we talk about this morning, but it simply says it this way, and having shod your feet 
with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, that's what we need to understand, but before we get there, let's set it in its context of that which we've been talking about. This is a section where God is inviting us to put on the entire armor of God, that there's a supply that He would give us that ultimately, well, we've kind of told our, our, our series to be strong in the Lord. That's taken from the beginning verse. Why don't you back up to verse 10? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's God's invitation for us to receive God's strength, that God's strength would be at work in our life. Now, that is always a good deal and always needed. But very specifically, He's drawing our attention to a very real and personal and spiritual war that is affecting every one of our lives. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Wow, that's a pretty big concept. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, if you want to go back to it, but he reminds us that our real battle isn't flesh and blood. It's not people. There's a spiritual reality. There's a devil, and there are demonic forces arrayed into this world that are affecting so many things, and they're affecting you. Then he tells us that you're involved in this battle, not just from a, a distant place, but you're in a wrestle a personal hand-to-hand, if you will, battle against these spiritual forces. Now, that would be almost overwhelming if it wasn't for the great hope that's found here in these verses, because he's going to tell us, and he does tell us, that God is able to make us strong for that. Keep reading. Verse 13, therefore, because we face these battles, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. You are able to stand. You're you're, you're able to withstand in all that God would supply for us, that all that He would give us, and certainly that has just been one of the things that is huge on my heart, that if I communicate one thing in the midst of today and in the midst of this series, I want to communicate just a sense of hope. I want to just draw you to a place that that you could see the reality of the battle and not find yourself giving up before you even try. But recognizing God is enough. Greater is He who is within you than He who is in the world. And to draw you to His strength in a way that you would rely more on Him and find Him able to help you do that. Well, in that, that's where we're, we're looking at. That's this whole place that we're facing a battle. That's the things that we can do. And in the supply that he gives us, he gives us seven things that really are articulated as the whole armor of God. Each one, picturing just realities that God gives us in Christ, these metaphors that would just roll across who we are, roll across what's been given to us and understanding it. Now, one of the keys that we've talked to you about is knowing that we need to understand what these seven things are, but we also need to understand the active words that flow into that. So, let's read the section that goes leading up to where we are. Go back again. Pick it up in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Hey, we'll stop there because that's how far we've made it so far. That's what we're looking at. But I tried to read it with emphasis so you would pay attention to the active words, that there is a sense that he's inviting us in these things, that there is a having. Now, when we get to the next one, it's going to begin with a taking, and that's a very different thing. That which we have, that which we take, and then finally an always that kind of permeates everything that's there. We think about what that looks like, and yet one of the keys in understanding what God is offering and supplying is seeing what these are, that there are really three different sections uh, that flow into this. And the first one is this having section, this place where it's truth and the breastplate of righteousness, and then these, these shoes of the gospel of peace, the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in that sense of having, the idea is that when we think about these three things, they are things that we can and we should always have. This isn't something that should be intermittent or only part of the time of our Christian life. Really, it's meant to be something that we always have. In fact, we might even want to think about it this way. In some ways, it's almost having a right worldview so that you view the world around you the right way. I think that might be helpful for us to think about it that way this morning, and that's certainly where we want to go. So with that in mind, again, we're thinking this through. We have these one, these seven pieces, but today we're going to hone in on just one of them. We're going to hone in on verse 15. Now, we've read it a couple times, but read it again with me. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wow. Now, this is a pretty fascinating supply. This is a pretty amazing part of God's strength, but honestly, it might take us a minute to wrap our brain around it. So, let's just begin to take it apart piece by piece. Let's just begin with that concept that he tells us that this is going to include the gospel of peace, that we're having shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel of peace? Well, simple definitions, though the depth of it is so much more. The gospel, you probably know, but if not, let me tell you, literally the word gospel means good news, means good news. So when you read gospel, it's like, hey, this is great news. This is is something really, really good. And in its most simple form, the gospel is Jesus. Now, we know that because the whole Bible says so, but I'll just give you one verse there in 1 Corinthians 15. When Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. I'm going to remind you of what the gospel is, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God sent his son into the world to die for our sins. He paid for our sins, and he rose again. That's the really good news. The good news that is just being communicated always when we think about gospel, that is what it is. But very specifically, it's telling us that gospel is a gospel of peace. How so? Well, in this sense, peace, first and foremost, is peace with God. That what the gospel does for us is brings us into a right relationship with God that is known in that sense for peace. So, it give it to us this way in Romans. And some of you were with us last week when we kind of dove through the book of Romans, seeing much of this. And you might remember there in chapter 5, 
where it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That this place that sin had brought us into a relationship that was just at war in that sense with God, it had made us God's enemy. Now through Christ, we have a relationship with God that is peace, that is this place that is right with God, and it's amazing in this sense. That understanding of peace literally is the most important thing. But it doesn't just end there. In fact, it again eventually permeates everything, that the peace that the gospel brings brings us into peace with people and eventually the entirety of God's creation, that what God did through sending His Son, it's the fix for the brokenness of our world. I think about it this way. So when Jesus was, was born, many of you guys know that Christmas passage when the angel proclaims at the birth of Christ, where it just says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. He says, you know, God is going to be glorified in this, and then God is bringing peace to those to whom he's pleased. Those who will have this relationship with Jesus is, in essence, what he's saying. But it's like, this is peace. I mean, God has sent his son to bring peace. Now, that peace comes because Jesus comes, but eventually he's going to bring it into the whole world. We think about what it tells us in Isaiah, which talks about the coming of Christ, and another familiar almost Christmas passage, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He says, here's this one who's going to come, and he's going to fix the world. And as he fixes the world, as he brings peace into the world, there's going to be peace that permeates everything. That this, this sense of conflict, this sense of brokenness that is still so present in our world is going to go entirely away. As Jesus comes back and is reigning and he brings into our world that which is, you're going to look upon it and say, that is peace. And let's just be clear, that is what we really need. I mean, when you think about our world right now, there is probably not a greater thing that if you could say, okay, there's one thing that just doesn't define our world right now is peace. One thing that's needed in that is peace, and that is what Jesus is. The gospel, the gospel is that which works this. This gospel of peace is the thing that brings just hope into our broken world. Okay, there's so much more there, but I think that's a good beginning for us, right? I hope that you're tracking and so, okay, whatever this is, the gospel of peace is that which is the good news of Jesus that brings peace into our world, the good news of Christ that is meant to be there. Well, now we need to think about the idea that he's telling us there in verse 15. When we think about this gospel of peace, he says that, you know, we're having to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace that our feet are meant to be shooed in that sense with this. Now, this ties into an incredible picture that flows throughout the Bible, but it's worth just making sure that we think it through, that there is this sense of what the Bible would call beautiful feet, or, or, or the beautiful feet that would kind of surround this. Now, this flows out of a passage that some of you will recognize in the book of Isaiah that says this very reality, where it simply says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, which is what again? That's the gospel, right? Okay, just want to make sure you guys are paying attention. The, the beautiful, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, 
who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. He says, this is going to be so amazing. As those who have this message begin to kind of step into the brokenness of the world and be able to say, I have a good message for you. I have a gospel message for you. It's a message that's going to bring peace, where we're going to proclaim peace, that we're going to proclaim salvation. So, so here Isaiah gives us this picture that is gazing forward to the coming of Christ and to the gospel that's going to touch the world. And it's as if he could say how beautiful that is. How beautiful it is to see people walking this into our broken world. That those, if you could almost look at their feet and say that, is, that the steps that you take to do that, that is so beautiful that we would seek to be able to do that. Now, Paul takes this and reasons with us in Romans, kind of quoting from that passage, and he just says in Romans 10, he says, forever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, just kind of taking this promise of Scripture that says, okay, if people would cry out to God and they would turn to Him, that God is offering the gospel to the world, whoever would do that would be saved. But then He just kind of reasons with us. So how shall they call upon Him whom they've not believed? So if somebody needs to cry out to God for salvation, well, they're going to need to believe. The only way that they're actually going to be able to ask God to save them is they're going to have to believe the truth of the gospel. And how are they going to do that? Unless they, some, that they've not heard. I mean, the only way that they're going to be able to kind of take that good news and apply it is they have to have heard that good news. They have to have had that proclaimed to them. And how should they hear? without a preacher or a proclaimer, without somebody who would declare that good news to them. They won't be able to do that without it. And so he just quotes from this passage we just read in Isaiah, and how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So you're tracking, right? I mean, hoping you are, that you're kind of trying to put this picture together. So whatever Paul is doing here in Ephesians 6, it's tying into this beautiful picture, this beautiful picture that is flowing through Scripture that there is this incredible gospel. There's this gospel that brings peace, and this idea of those of whose feet are shod with this are those who would kind of take that into the, the world, and he's calling us to it. He's telling us it's beautiful. He's telling us it's needed. But there's another word, right, in the text that really becomes a helpful and maybe a key one if we're going to really understand this. So there again, Ephesians 6, verse 15, and having shod your feet, the beautiful feet, the gospel feet, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. With the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the call is to be prepared for that. The call is, in that sense, to be prepared to even just recognize that need and to be a part of it. So let's just think about that in the most general way, though, again, I wish I had tons of time and we could explore it in a much deeper way, but I think it's enough to help us understand. When we think about whatever this is, in this place where you and I are supposed to recognize and be prepared for this, you know, we think about what the Bible would tell us, where that Jesus would tell you and me that we are the light of the world that we are that. And so again, just putting it there on the screen, out of Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus is speaking authoritatively here. That needs to be clear. In this dark world, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're the only one that has an answer. You're the only one. There's nothing else out there that's going to fix the brokenness of this world. There's nothing else out there. There's not a politician. There's not a business model. There's not a psychologist. There's not, a, there's not anything that is going to look into the brokenness of our world and bring hope into it except the gospel. The gospel is the only fix. And if you're a child of God, Jesus says, in this world, you are the light. And again, I, just, I find myself just struck with the, the, the just clear clarity of that. Not a light. He doesn't say, in this broken world, you're one of the things. You are a light. He says, you're the light. You're it. You're, you're, the, the reason we're here is so that we have this incredible hope that's meant to be there. That's the Great Commission. That's how Jesus, when he leaves the earth and he looks upon us and he leaves us in this world, he says, go into the whole world. Go into the whole world and preach this gospel to everybody. I mean, that is why we are here. I mean, I don't know if that makes perfect sense to you, but let me just try to wrap it around this way. If the only goal was to get you saved, then why didn't God just take you to heaven the moment you got saved? I mean, some of you are like, that's exactly what I'd like to know. I mean, I was like, let's go. Like, I'm out. You know, the main reason you are left here is to be a light of the world so that that which God has done in us can be communicated into this world. That's, that's really the main reason we're still here. I mean, everything else is going to be, you know, fixed for us in heaven. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more distance. That's all coming. But the reason that has not happened yet is because God is still saving people, and you are a part of that, that we're meant to be in a sense that we understand that. And so the goal of that is that we should therefore know that and be prepared to be a part of that, that we should recognize what it is, that we should always be ready to tell people about Jesus. I think about it in one of my favorite verses that speak about this in 1 Peter. He says it this way, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It's a great verse with some great distinctives, but I just want you to hear just the point of it. Always always be ready. Always. Always is always. I mean, so that you're always ready to tell anybody that you can about Jesus. Like, if God opened up a door and somebody asked you, like, how do you handle the world? I mean, how are you having hope for the world? You should be like, I was waiting for that. I was, I was looking for an opportunity because I'm ready. <laughs> I, I'm ready to tell somebody about Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm desiring. I'm wanting to be a part of that. That's what he's talking about that there is a sense that it should be something that we are actively aware of and prepared for and seeking to walk in. And we could talk about just that in great ways, but let's just understand. It's so desperately needed. That is so desperately needed. And I want to just tell you again that people need it. People in Roswell need it. People around the world need it. They, they need the gospel. They need to hear it. They, there's nothing else that's going to bring that hope. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you need it. 
There is nothing else that would fix your world. There's no other way that's going to bring in the peace that you desperately need except the gospel. And for their sakes, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of others, we need to be those who have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we would be those who would be willing and ready and desiring to say, I would love to tell you how. I would love to tell you why you can have hope. I just want to tell you for the people who are around your world right now who are broken, they need it. There's nothing else that's going to fix it. If they look like they're doing okay, they're not. Without Jesus, there is no peace. Without Jesus, there is no hope. And for the sake of the world that God loves, for the sake that we should love people, there is a sense that we should be called to do this, that, in, that you are called for this. And, and I could spend more time on it, but I just want to try to say it in the most simple way. There is no doubt biblically that this is God's desire for you. There's no out that could say, well, you know, it's not really good at that. It's not really something that I like doing. I'm, you know, I'm not really one of those people, peeps, persons, and, and so I don't really do good sharing the gospel. That's for other people. I just want to tell you, that doesn't actually land biblically. I understand personal struggles. I understand that, but let's just understand. That's certainly not what God wants for you. God's plan for you is that you would have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that you're ready. You're ready so that if somebody asks you, why do you have hope? You should be like, I was hoping to have an opportunity today to tell somebody about that. Not be like, oh, I have, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to tell anybody about this. I don't, you know, let me call somebody else up. You know, it's like, I'm not, no, we should be in that sense prepared. That's the goal. I mean, that's the word, right? That this is something that you're prepared for. And, and again, they desperately need it. They need what that is. They need what it is in the midst of everything that is. And for their sake, you should do that. But, the point here in Ephesians chapter 6 is not necessarily for the good of others, though that certainly should be clear. I mean, the gospel of peace is that. The point here is that not only would that be a blessing to the world, it would be a blessing to you. The point here is that there's a benefit that would happen into your world if you live this way, that when we think about it right now, we're not talking about the gospel necessarily going forward. We're talking about an enemy that hates you an armor that God would give you that would help you stand in evil days, that would help you stand against Satan's lies. And I just want to tell you that being prepared to share the gospel, it's armor. It is protection. It is protection against the things that are happening around you. In other words, it's not just good for them. Again, it's good for you. That there's a side benefit in your life that if this is how you live your life, it will do you good. How so? Well, probably many things, but maybe it's just helpful to think about it this way. Part of it is just a situational awareness. Part of it is just a, an awareness that you would recognize where you are. See, I've already told you, right? This is not your home. You're left here on earth to be a representative of Jesus. It shouldn't be surprising to you that you don't fit down here. It shouldn't be surprising to you that this world doesn't feel homey to you because you're not made for this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we belong. That is where we fit. We don't fit down here. But we are here in this world for the gospel. 
so that people could see us. If you want to think about it like a battle, this world is the battlefield. This is not our home. This, this world is a place where we are you know, in, a, in a world that we don't belong, where we don't fit, and we're in the middle of a war. Now, that's very clear biblically, but I'm just going to tell you again, for some of us, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of it. And we lose sight of where we live. And so it's kind of surprising to us that Satan is so active and that, that we're going through spiritual adversities and there's things there. But it's almost like we just forget we're in a battle. Now, I have this really goofy, you know, kind of cartoon brain I share with you guys every now and then. So I just want you to imagine it. I want you to imagine like a, a war field. You know, here's just, you know, whether it be tanks or soldiers and there's, you know, smoke rising and shells flying and, you know, things are happening. It's like a battlefield. And then you have this person walking in the midst of the battlefield that doesn't realize they're in a battlefield, that somehow has lost the concept that they're in the middle of a war, and they're like just walking around, just do-do-do-do-do. And it's like, man, just, I don't know why the world is shaking, and there's smoke, and what was that? You know, a bullet just went by, and, and somehow they, like, do you not know where you are? Did you, did you think this was heaven? Did you think this is where you, you no, you're, you're in the middle of a war. A war that is raging for the souls of men and women around you every day. Did you forget that? Did you forget where you are? So if you have this preparation of the gospel of peace, there's a part of it that you'd be like, I know why I'm here. I know where I'm standing in this moment. I I know in the place that I'm in is is a battle because I want others to see Jesus around me. And think about it this way, when Jesus was talking about this incredible work that he'd do in the world, he gave it to us in Matthew 16. He says, and I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's a great content, just just great, great promise from Jesus. I've shared it with you guys in the past, so hopefully some of you are already aware, but sometimes the misunderstanding of this verse is actually the misunderstanding of our lives. Sometimes when people read this, word, this verse, they get the context that Jesus is never going to fail. That's good. Huh. Like nothing's ever going to win, Jesus wins. And then it says, you know, the gates will not prevail against us. And somehow it's kind of permeated in our world like Satan's not going to win. I mean, he's going to attack and, 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 and he's never going to be able to defeat me. And, and that's just, you know, I mean, that's not a bad thing, but that's not what this is. So if you're on a battlefield and there are gates, do gates attack people? Or do people attack gates? I, it's not, not really you know, easy if you think about it. It's like, you know, gates aren't the enemy. I mean, you know, there's not anybody that's on a battlefield. I was just so afraid of the gate. You know, it's like that gate, it's right there. And it's kind of just going to consume my life. And it's not, not it at all. The gates aren't attacking. We're attacking the gates. We're attacking the gates. We're on enemy territory, pressing through boundaries that the enemy has seek to set up and we're rescuing people. The promise that Jesus gives here that he says he's going to be doing until the end of time is nothing's going to stop that. That the enemy and all of his lies aren't going to do that. We are going to do that, and the gates of Hades will not stop us from this gospel going forward, from the good news of Jesus just penetrating the world and bringing people from every tribe and tongue and nation into the gospel. I mean, this is that we are we are not you know living our lives hunkered down. Just you know, I'm afraid of the gates. No, if we do this right, we're like, I'm pressing through a gate. 
I'm tearing down those things, those lies that are blocking people from hearing the gospel. I, I want to be a part of taking the gospel into the world, and not because I'm afraid of it, but I'm penetrating it, and it cannot win. So that's the goal. I mean, the goal is that we would see this. And so there would be a situational awareness that all by itself, that if you lived that way, you know, some of what Satan would seek to do in your life, he would never get to do because you know where you are. Because you know where you are when, when he casts in his lies or his attempts to undermine your life. It would never work because you know where you're living. You, you know the world in which you have. That there would be lies that Satan would seek to do that just because you have this, his attempts to mess up your world would never work because you know this. Now, there's so many ways that I could describe this. There's so many examples that I could try to give, but let me just give you one out of Scripture that might be helpful. It's out of the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah had stepped into time, and he was doing an incredible work, something that had not happened for centuries, that they were literally seeing Jerusalem restored, the, the wall built. He was bringing in a spiritual awakening into God's people. is an amazing moment, but at the same moment, at every step of the way, there was a spiritual battle that's really evident if you've ever read through the book of Nehemiah. In one of those attacks that seek to undermine who Nehemiah was, it tells us in Nehemiah chapter 6, he says, Afterwards I came into the house, and Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Methabel, who was a secret informer. Now, he knows this afterwards. He didn't know this then. But he comes into this house of this man who's supposed to be a, a, a follower of God, supposed to be even a prophet. And this man says to him, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. This is Nehemiah. It's a really scary moment right now. I mean, they are going to try to hunt for your life. You need to take care of yourself. What you ought to do is go into the temple Go into the holy place of the temple and close the doors where you could be safe there. Now, again, if that's not something that you fully understand biblically, can I tell you this is a huge no. I mean, the temple of God was only for the priests. Nobody else was able to go into that. You weren't able to have that access. And Nehemiah, that's not who he is. He's not a priest. He's a man who is bringing in good things into God's people. He's a leader at this moment who's encouraging these things. And so what he's being encouraged to do right now is to do a wrong thing to take care of his own life, to protect his life. And so he just begins to think it through. And it tells us in Nehemiah 6 verse 11, he said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there who, such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. First of all, I just recognize if, if I did that, if, if I fled, that would kind of create atmosphere through the entirety of God's people. He's a leader at this moment. It's like, should I? I mean, as one who's doing this, should I be one that should run away? Should I care more about my life than what's right or wrong? If I went into the temple of God, if, if I did that to save my own life, it's just, I, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to walk in that. And it tells us, then I perceive, Nehemiah says, that God had not sent him at all. But he pronounced this prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sambalat, who were enemies in those days. But they had literally hired this man to make Nehemiah afraid. That they had got to work through this. And he says, for this reason, he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have a cause for evil report and that they might reproach me. 
says, this was, this was their goal. Their goal was to make me afraid so that I would sin, and then that would be that which they used to try to hinder the work of God, to try to stop things from moving forward in God's way. He says, I, now I see it. You know, now I understand what's happening here because I see that that was the whole aim. Well, here's the thing I'm just trying to make you understand. He didn't see this ahead of time, but because he knew where he was. No, like, that would, I, I know who, I'm a person whose life is influencing other people. People would, would see that, and if I did the wrong thing, that would only kind of create, you know, just huge ripple effects in, in the thing. I'm not going to do that. And so he was actually literally protected from sinning and being a part of what Satan did in that moment because he kind of understood where he was understood what was taking place because he was prepared to walk in that. And I want to tell you that there is a hundred ways that this would so help you, that there would be things that if you lived ready every day to say, God, I'm open, like you give me an opportunity to show people something about Jesus, not only would that be a good thing for them, that would be a good thing for you. There would be lies because Satan, his goal is to get you to sin, and sin is selfishness. And if he can get you focused more on caring about you than caring about God and the world, then, then he can begin to do bad things and lead your life into a way that would marginalize it. And here he's telling us, if you live prepared, if you have on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, that's going to be help to you. That'll give you firm footing. That'll give you strong standing in a world that is so wrong. And that would be part of how God would protect you in this broken world. I just want to tell you that's great. Now, in the midst of this, the idea of this is that's how you should be viewing your world. So let's just quickly talk about this for a moment. Then we want to get practical. So we think about things that we're talking about. And I've kind of told you that if you could see these first three aspects of the armor of God, they literally would be things that would shape the way that you view the world. So that when you think about being girded with truth, you would understand that we have God's word and what he says to us is right. There is a beginning, there is an end. There is sin, there is a savior. Jesus is the only way. And you would recognize truth is truth. In a world that's filled with lies, I got truth. You would also recognize that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are saved because of Jesus's righteousness. That his righteousness is this breastplate that has made you right. It's not you, it's him. And then you would recognize that you in this world are put here for that place that we're here to share the hope that is the gospel of Christ. 